three questions. We'll start it by the way. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have three questions for you before we even go into the podcast. What does success mean to you? Like in one or two words. That was the first thing that comes to your mind when uh what do you consider successful? I think um accomplishment of your dreams and then happiness. Yeah. Happiness. Yeah. What does happiness mean? I think that happiness um has to do with the state of mind. Mm. Um the ability to get some satisfaction from what you've done and to be able to derive some some joy from it. I think that's what I'll define as personal happiness. Okay. What about community? What does community mean to you? Um so as um, someone in international affairs, I would, I would define community as um, you know your stakeholders. Um, you know, could be religious-wise, could be um, in terms of ethnicity, could be in terms of academic, could be in terms of um, you know family. Uh, I think communities like a group of people that you refer as your critical stakeholders. Okay, okay. And uh, I just asked those three questions just to get a sense of your perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that being said, uh, welcome to another edition of Cultural Class Podcast, uh, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds. Different backgrounds meaning might be another culture, a different way of thinking, a different religion, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Just talking to someone with different experiences from me and hopefully, you know, getting to educate our listeners in a casual way. Uh, bringing them in into the into their world. So today I have a Nigerian on the podcast, uh, Ridwan. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Nasser. Yeah, and you're you're more or less like my third Nigerian on the podcast. <laughs> I, I've published about thirty plus, maybe almost forty episodes, and you're like my third Nigerian. It's my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean Nigerians are everywhere. If I want to, if I if I want just a podcast for Nigerians, trust me I can release a podcast like three 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 podcast episodes a week. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean Yeah, that, that that's impressive that you could limit that to just three Nigerians out of thirty. Yeah, I mean I tr- I try to go out there. So when we're talking about culture, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the easiest, the low-hanging fruit, the easiest way to classify culture is country of yeah. origin. So yeah. I tend to talk to people from a whole bunch of countries. Mm-hmm. But even us within Nigeria, we're not a monolith of cultures because we have yeah. different experiences. And, you know, culture class is just learning about other people's experiences, having this conversation and, you know, uh, disseminating information mm-hmm. about other people's experiences yeah. in that way. So I guess in a sense, uh, even owing to the fact that even though we're not necessarily from the same place in Nigeria, we have mm-hmm. two different stories in yeah. a sense. So we're both Nigerians, mm-hmm. we're both Africans. So yeah. in uh, engaging in today's conversation with you, you know, we hope to educate people about your perspective on certain areas of Nigeria, you know, maybe things that I haven't seen before, mm-hmm. I wasn't aware of, and maybe we can just have that discourse and uh you know, disseminate information that way. Yeah, look forward. Yeah, and uh, while recording this, I woke up this morning uh, to several tweets uh, on uh, a Nigerian Twitter personality, someone called Omojua, mm-hmm. and uh, people were arguing back and forth. So backstory, uh, Omojua is kind of like a Twitter personality who's popular in Nigeria. He talks about things that has to do with public policy, things that have to do with economics and just general, you know, governance, things like that. So he has quite a number of followers, I think almost half a million or a million followers, whatever. Uh, so I, I guess people, someone kind of like petitioned and he's currently applying or is currently enrolled in the University College of London. Mm-hmm. And someone petitioned the uh, UCL University College to kind of like rescind his admission mm-hmm. based off of tweets he had, you know, in the past. I know my train ride coming here, I was just thinking about it. You know, I was like, you know, uh, on one hand, we have freedom of speech. Uh, on one hand, we also have hate speech. On another hand, and he didn't necessarily, from my understanding of the situation, you know, like say anything hateful per se. Uh, depending on your interpretation of that, but I haven't seen any legal uh, expert classify his words as hate speech. But it was just interesting to know because I record a podcast every week, and God knows the number of things that we talk about. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is even my voice. So, to to what extent are we? I guess you are supposed to be 
held accountable for anything you say. But on the other hand, I guess sometimes it will make sense to put certain things in context. So if someone has done um, or have said a million things in their life and two of those things, uh, especially maybe being said at a young age, happen to be rub some people the wrong way. And you are using that against the person maybe four, five, six years later when the person has grown and, you know, discounting the 998,000 things or 999,000 things that the person has said. It's just an interesting dynamic. It just got me thinking, yeah, especially owing to the fact that I record uh, like a podcast and everything. But um, yeah, um, have you like been following the story or have you seen, heard anything about the story so far? Yeah, interestingly, um, got, I got to um, read about the story about um, 20 minutes ago, uh, but in terms of the nitty-gritty, you know, still look forward to reading that. Um, yeah, so, but it would be good just to talk about it and talk about, you know, what the implications are for people. Gotcha. But anyway, I mean, we can talk about it at length if we want to, but, you know, it's just something to think about. Um, sure. Kind of like liking it uh, to the white guy, I, I can't remember his name, the 17-year-old guy who got mm-hmm. into Harvard. And uh, someone pulled up uh, a tweet or something where he was using the N-word about mm-hmm. a, year, a year or two before mm-hmm. he got into Harvard. Now, the N-word is classified as hate speech, yep. don't get me wrong. Yep. But, you know, in this world of social media where, you know, everything, you can't be perfect all the time. The Kevin Hart issue to the same mm-hmm. thing, statements he made nine years ago. Is there room to grow, you know, cancel culture? A mistake is made in one statement. You totally discount all the good things and progressive things the person yeah. has done and, you know, try to um, attack someone. But anyway, the good thing with the Omojua case is that I think he apologized uh, publicly and him and whoever, the people involved, uh, the major people involved, I guess, have reconciled, uh, yeah. at least on social media. So that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you're very correct. Um, it's important that we often think about how do we forgive people. Um, however, we also need to know that uh, people must be responsible for their of actions. Course, of course. Uh, whether it's now, whether it's ten years ago, mm-hmm. um, it's very difficult to not their action, not responsible yeah. for action for their words. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just. And we need to people. You, if yeah. you say something, you need to be held accountable. True. I totally I mean, agree. Um, your your word. Um, defines who you are and it, it shows you know what kind of position you've taken on, on different stands um shows your behavior shows you know what about the word the, what about the word when i was 13 or the word when i was 15. <laughs> i mean that's a different conversation um you know it's a different conversation the Abbott case was a totally different one Amadua, um five years ago was not was an adult um yeah. today still is um so i don't have the nitty-gritty however you know um, depending on whether those accusations are true or not, yeah, I think that people have the right to petition. You yeah, know? Um, it there, there has to be freedom of speech. There no, yeah, yeah, people have the right to petition. Obviously. Yeah, and, and then in addition, I wouldn't say that you know someone like Omojua, for example, or you know um, any other activist out there um, mm. should have to um, stop criticizing the government. I think that you know criticism has to occur. Um, mm-hmm. Civil society. Um, is an important harm of any democracy. So they need to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. However, you know, while doing that, um, there must be some level of civility. Um, you know, there must be some level of respect and it must be constructive. Um, so it's difficult to also achieve that because are you trying to tell people how to express their emotions? Like sometimes you can't. Yeah, expect a certain level of. I mean, you know, no, it's, 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 it's interesting because if we have um, diverse opinions, there are ways I can tell that to you. I'm a diplomat, so there are ways I could easily put that across to you, um, which means that I'm taking a totally different position. But yet, I wouldn't insult you. I'm not sure whether you insulted anyone or not. Um, you know, I still need to like confirm um, the authenticity of those information that are, that have been peddled. Mm-hmm. However, um, you know, if you want to display your emotion, you can display your emotion, but you should also put in mind that you would be held accountable. Gotcha. Um, you know, and then you have to be able to defend it. So whether people um, come up with a petition, I think it's fine. You know, people can come up with any petition. They can come up with petition against you or me, mm-hmm. uh, but we must be able to defend, you know, any of those petitions. And I hope that, you know, 
this would be resolved um, in the coming weeks or days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, lesson learned all across the board. Sure. Um, it's just, you know, as we continue to grow, uh, it's not just about learning from our own experiences, mm -hmm. but learning from the experiences of others. Yeah. So, cool. Uh, yeah, like I said earlier in the episode, we're both Nigerians, so mm -hmm. we'll be talking a lot about Nigeria. Uh, hopefully, you know, listeners of the podcast, uh, we've uh, had people from a host of other countries here. But today, uh, we will, we hope to open you up to yeah. more and more of uh, parts of Nigeria and uh, hopefully um, disseminate uh, more information about that. Uh, so, from what I understand, you grew up mostly in southern Nigeria. Yep, I'm from um, southwest Nigeria. I'm Nigerian, <laughs> but you know. From southwest Nigeria, I'm from Ogun State, um, in the Boron State of Lagos, which I know most people know Lagos, so it's yeah. Ogun. So I live in the city called Abelkuta. Um, yeah. And Abelkuta is like an hour, an hour and a half yeah. out of Lagos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, I lived there for the first part of my life, um, you know, till uh, high school. And I moved to another part of the country, which is also still in the southwest. It's called Oshun State which is like a three-hour drive from um, Lagos. And we are at my undergrad at the university called Wapimaolo University. Um, then afterwards, moved to Lagos, um, which is the most popular place in, in Nigeria and the most crowded place. Lived in Lagos for about a year. And then um, I moved to the northern part of the country. Uh, how old were you when you moved to the northern part of the country? I think I was... Um, I was, I was in Sokoto, probably 21 or 22. Mm, okay, yeah. so at least you were, you were grown. Yeah, I was, I, I, I was grown to some extent. And that's interesting. You know, I always like to say that uh, no, yeah. no countries are monolith. I, mean, I was just interviewing someone from Romania yesterday and she was telling mm -hmm. me how Transylvania is different from the other parts. Uh, no race is a uh, monolith, uh, no mm -hmm. continent is a monolith, yeah. no culture is a monolith. There are always uh, different aspects, uh, see... Uh, the world from different places. But you grew up and you went to school mostly in southern Nigeria. Belkuta is in the south, Osho mm -hmm. is in the south, uh, Lagos is in the south, southwestern mm -hmm. uh, Nigeria. But at 21, 22, you ended up moving to northern Nigeria. What was the reason for you moving to northern Nigeria? Um, it was for um, the National Youth Service. So Nigeria has um, National Youth Service where you need to um, serve as a paramilitary for one year. So you would be deployed to any part of the country, and often um, you, you would likely be deployed to any other region outside of your own region. Yeah, uh, and it was started like what thirty years ago by yeah. uh, when Goan was president, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. and and the fact I think it was one of those programs that started after the civil war to yeah. kind of like integrate the country. Sure. So instead of growing up uh, using the U.S. for example, if you grow up in Texas, whatever, when you're done with college, you're mandated to maybe go to Missouri or you know, mm -hmm. go to Alaska, another mm -hmm. part of the country to like serve for like a year and mm -hmm. kind of like a paramilitary community yeah. development mm -hmm. aspect. Do Do you think? the objective of the National Youth Service Corps, which is like the organization, do you think it has lived up to its objective of kind of like making people see other parts of the country, integrating the country and fostering a more unified Nigeria in the last like 30 plus years of its existence? I think um, there are diverse opinions um, you know, about that. For me, I think it has lived up to expectations. Um, However, I would also say that there are some um, challenges, you know, that has that have actually developed along um, the way. But um, in terms of unifying people, in terms of exposing people to other parts of the country, getting to understand um, other people's culture, I think that um, it's done that. But there are also other areas like security of the core members, um, compensation, things like that. I think that those are areas that would definitely make people rethink whether the objectives are being met or whether it's, it's just a way of, of um, you know, wasting one's time for, for about a year. But yeah. for me, I think it was really helpful to learn more about, you know, the part of Nigeria where people have um, a particular stereotype on. And I think that, you know, from Lagos to Sokoto, that's like the second farthest destination from Lagos um, after um, Bono. So um, having to travel 
you know, by bus for how long did it take you? About 24 hours. Wow, a full day. <laughs> <laughs> a full day, part of the night, so. Ah, I know why you, I know, I know how you feel, bro. Yeah, I, just I, I, I travel from Chicago to DC by bus, so yeah, it was 20, 22 the, hours. <laughs> but that's in the US, you know, I yeah. traveled, and then interestingly, you know, I also used the opportunity to go on an adventure of traveling by train in Nigeria. Oh, wow. Yeah. You actually traveled by train. Yeah. So you broke the journey. Yeah. you know, No, so I didn't. So the first trip to Sokoto was um, by bus. Okay. I spent about 24 hours, um, including, you know, breaks. Then um, my next trip um, was by train from Abeokuta. Down there, I think I spent about 36 hours there about. I don't think I've gone long distance on train in Nigeria. I think I've done those light rails within Lagos, like those mm-hmm. short yeah. uh, trains. But uh, what's, the, what's the train, what's the real experience like? In Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> that was tough. No, I mean, it was interesting because um, I think... I didn't travel with my friends, so I traveled alone. Um, mm-hmm. I made friends on the train. Um, oh, nice! Yeah, I made friends because it was it was that six-hour trip. You yeah. just can't be there. It, the, the train was so slow. I think it was probably moving at forty miles per hour, probably wow. thirty miles per hour. I'm sure you slept really like slow. five times. <laughs> thing, you can't sleep. You, I, I was like first class, uh, but it was it was really like a first class. It, How much was a first class train ticket? I think it was about three thousand naira, so which is like ten dollar. Ten dollars for a thirty-six hour trip. So okay, uh, but the you know traveling by train really exposes you to a different part of Nigeria. You know to places where you wouldn't believe exists in Nigeria. Places where you would see huts, you know, constructed with with clay. Um, you know, have no access to water or or electricity. You know, and, and let, let me just stop you there yeah. now. When some people think about Africa. Mm-hmm. Some people in the West, uh, Americans or you know people in the West, Europeans or whatever. Some people think about think that everywhere is made up of like huts and there's no mm-hmm. electricity and they have those images of you know the kids with the big bellies mm-hmm. and flies around their eyes and things. But you are telling me that you that wasn't your reality. So it was even surprising for you, a Nigerian who had lived in Nigeria mm-hmm. for 21 years yeah. before traveling, to see those things. I think that my reality um, was that. As a Nigerian, I had never seen um, a hut until I was 21, until I took that train trip. Mm. Um, and then, you know, it was so exciting seeing, seeing those huts. Um, I think that the narrative that um, Africa is made up of kids with big bellies, um, living in huts, um, you know, struggling to go to school, has been something that has been created by by the media. You know, um, I lived in Ogun State, I lived in um, Oshun, I lived in um, Lagos, I lived in, in Sokoto, but I had to take the train to experience this part. And I'm not, you know, I'm not part of the top 10% of the country. So, you know, my family wasn't rich. <laughs> um, I, I don't live in uh, Banana Island or where you could easily say that I'm being shielded from this reality. But the truth is that, you know, we have houses made of concrete, uh, we have cars, but I wouldn't say that there are no places that are built with clay or where you have kids that are actually struggling with kwashiorkor core or nutritional deficiency. There are, but it doesn't represent um, the entire Africa. Gotcha, gotcha. So back to your train trip exactly. What, what was one memorable incident? So like, did anything exciting happen uh, during that trip? Of course, you made friends uh, during the trip. But is there anything you can point to to say, oh, wow, I remember that trip because of X? I think I remember the trip because, um, so I left the first class compartment and I went to the economy. Okay, so you changed coaches. Yeah, so just like, I took a walk. Okay. And it was shocking because I met people that that had to survive based on that train coverage. You know, people that would typically have to wait for trains for two days before wow. they could. Yeah, because like there is no road link. You know, accessing their their villages. Um, in the economic compartment, you would have like people lapping each other. Um, you know, you would have like animals mixing with you know people. It's it showed a different you know a different reality of the of the um, lower 10% of the population. I think you could easily say that. Um, and then I also had the opportunity to interact with people from the northern part of the country. Uh, people who don't understand English, uh, who speak purely Hausa, 
And that was what really piqued my interest to start to learn Hausa because I felt that... Oh, well, you actually started to learn Hausa? Yeah, definitely. You know, I could speak like um, the basic conversation Hausa. Um, and then, you know, because I felt like if you're going to be in public service or you're going to be a good businessman or um, anyone who's actually targeting um, the country as a whole, you need to understand the language of other people. So I'm, I'm Yoruba, I speak Yoruba language, I speak English. Um, but, you know, I never even had the opportunity, I never even had the intention of learning the outside language until I took the trip to Sokoto. Sokoto. Yeah. So, so that's a nugget right there. Um, if you're, you know, a, a good way to ease into other cultures is to learn a language. And mm -hmm. this was the same thing, uh, Cynthia was talking to me uh, about yesterday. She yeah. speaks six languages. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, um, speaking a language, uh, you know, the food, the music, yeah. uh, those are easy ways to like get mm -hmm. into the culture. Yeah. Okay. So 21 year old Ridwan, uh, you want to serve your country for a year, mm -hmm. you land in Sokoto. Yeah. What was your first week like? Hell. <laughs> <laughs> Define that. What happened it exactly? Hell. Let's start um, from the train station. You, so you, you alighted at the tarmac. Um, yeah, I alighted at the tarmac. So, I mean, I used the train after my initial trip. So when I was oh, okay, back, okay. Yeah. So the first one was the, the bus. The first one was the bus. Okay. So the bus was hell. So you got to the park. The bus was hell. I met, like, very good people in the bus. Like, okay. exciting people, fantastic people. Um, you know, I had to take the bus against my mom's advice of using a plane, which I still love to today. Mm -hmm. But, um... When I got to Sokoto, it was a totally different city. Yeah, like, Sokoto, Northern Nigeria. Yeah, Sokoto, mm -hmm. Northern Nigeria, completely different. It's um, it's it has like you know the weather with deserts. Um, you know, you could so it, it's you hot. Call it, call it like the Sahel region. Mm -hmm. Um, it's hot. It's really hot. Uh, I think when I was there was above 35 degrees centigrade. And Sokoto is far away from the Atlantic. Is that in the yeah. north, closer to mm -hmm. the Sahara than? Yeah, closer to Sahara. Than... It borders um, Niger Republic. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's closer to the Sahara. Unlike the southwest, where it's mostly you know tropical rainforest, um, the weather is really cool. Sokoto is totally different. So when I got there, I, to, like, I developed like um, some rashes. Because of the heat. Because of the heat. Uh, let's look at the po yeah. let's look at the positive light. It was preparing you for DC in the summer. Because yeah, yeah, <laughs> sometimes yeah, yeah. DC can be musty in the but, summer. But this is this DC you can't even compare this to Sokoto. Sokoto is no, not really. Yeah, DC like, can yeah, be as DC hot as Sokoto. Hot, but you might say you know probably more. Well, let's say, have you been, been to Texas? Texas? No, I haven't been. To Maybe Texas. parts of Texas. Probably. Is probably but, as but, hot. And Sokoto was actually the hottest area I've ever said. It's you know it was a good experience because. It wasn't as congested as the southern part of the country. Mm. You know, they had good roads, like very good roads. Mm. Um, I think that the people there seem to be happier, <laughs> um, you know, than the people in. They the don't fret the little things. No, I think mm. that I think that they they're happy with the little they have. Um, you know, you you see more of the animals. Um, you know, horses, camels. My first time I've seen cam camel anyway. Um, and the campus, the, the youth service experience was really good. I met like very good people from different parts of the country. So I think that um, the four-week immersion um, was really important for me to learn a lot about other cultures in Nigeria. And I think that's 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 like what really shaped you know, my idea of um, cultural integration going forward. So what did you end up doing during your one-year service to the country? I thought. Um, was your, was your, as, as we say in Nigeria, primary place of assignment. What did you give back so, to the country, <laughs> to so, the community? I mean, before we sold, I was at Procter and Gamble, so I had made some money. Um, so I knew that I just wanted to. Procter and Gamble, the. Yeah, the fast moving continental okay. company. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I knew that I just wanted to serve. So I was teaching. I was teaching chemistry, okay, right, chemistry teacher. and biology. Okay. And then it was this kid. You're a chemistry teacher. Yeah, I was a chemistry teacher. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, my kids, like the students, are actually amazing. I still keep in touch with them. Um, in the school where I was posted, you know, they they they, they have a laboratory, but they, they never had um, a chemistry teacher. Mm. So when I got there, I just told the principal that um, you know I would love to teach chemistry because mm. I was really good at chemistry while I was in undergrad. So I taught chemistry at like you know. I started like some basic protocols for them, like you know, neutralization, acid and base. Mm. And it was really exciting because these kids these kids are amazing, like, you know, um really smart kids, um, who needed the opportunity. So it was a really amazing experience. 
you know, taking them through the protocols. I still have the pictures with, him, with me. I still keep in touch with them. And I think that um, a major highlight for me was, um, you know, when I had um, a conversation with one of the, with the students I was teaching who told me, like, you know, he would love to, like, go to high school, to a university, but um, his parents couldn't afford it. So it means that he needed to end up, you know, end up in a farm. Wow, he was eager to go to university. He was eager, very fast. Oh, and and Nigeria is not a country that has uh, student loans no, or no things like that. Everything's out of pocket. Kind of really mm-hmm. poor, out of pocket. So at the end of the day, you know, I had to like pay for his um, wow, his um, UTME, and then you know he passed his exam. Yeah, UTME like the central exam yeah. to get into the university. Yeah, like yeah, and then you know. Wow, do you still so, keep in touch with him? Yeah, we still keep in touch, but it's been a while now um, since so I've been to the US. You know, it's. It's usually been tough, like been touch, but you know he started his university, so I, I hope he's doing well. Oh, nice, nice chemistry. The, the only thing I remember about chemistry in high school is balancing equations. Yeah, we did it. Okay. <laughs> is that still a thing? Yeah, it's still a thing. Like that's chemistry. I, I hear that there's someone I know who's studying in Saudi Arabia, I think, and mm-hmm. he he's studying computational chemistry. That's so it doesn't necessarily. Uh, Mix reagents. It doesn't do any breaking bad thing and mm-hmm. mixing test <laughs> things. Everything's on the computer. Yeah. So computer. as I, I was like, how accurate can this be? Maybe mm-hmm. now in the age of machine learning yep. and you know AI, it you would know, be you know because there, you can there's learn, like an iteration of that over time. Yeah. You definitely know um, how much of a base you need to actually analyze. But it's crazy. You don't have to stay in the lab and mix stuff. You just you can do a hundred different permutations on a computer and see yep. which and which and which works, and you focus on that mm-hmm. in the physical lab, yeah. and that helps. So it's just amazing how the world has you know evolved. Evolved now. Mm-hmm. Is chemistry? You know, one thing I always think about in Nigeria: the sciences is is not like it used to be. You know, back in the sixties, how People in the sciences, I, I would say, I don't know about the school you went to, but mm-hmm. in, from my experience, like people in the sciences that study things like microbiology, chemistry, things like that, they end up going to work like in a bank or something. Not a lot of them get to go into like food processing mm-hmm. or things like that. Um, do you think we're utilizing the sciences as much as we need to? And given the, 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 the competition we have from co- countries like China, engineering country, Korea, things like that, and even the States, do you think we are utilizing the sciences, STEM in general, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics the way we should in the country? Nope. I think that um, um, a testimony to that. So my undergrad was microbiology. Um, I'm now in international economics. Uh, <laughs> And I think that that's because you know the funding that's actually going to that to that field isn't sufficient. Mm. Um, I think that you know other countries are fired or was um, you know by a million years if you can put that as an estimate. Uh, but in terms of you know whether people in that field are doing exceptionally well, I think that yes. But what's happening is that you're you're seeing like a brain drain. Mm. Um, and then um, you're seeing like a knowledge flight whereby most of the like the top talented students um, in the country are actually moving to places like United States or Canada or even China. Or when you have, so I was, I was in the top 5% of my class, but you know, I ended up losing interest in, in the science field because I felt that I could make more impact in um, governance and development. Um, so that was why I had to like, move away. But I still have, you know, very deep interest in the field. Um, I have, like, you know, my wife is, um, she's a scientist. Um, she's at the University of Ibaba. But, you know, it's not easy for our practicing there, but um, they're still doing it, you know. Um, they're, they're still doing very, very interesting stuff. But I think that, that that failure in the system is the fault of the government. Um, but because the world is so globalized now, scientists from Nigeria are getting much more involved. Um, you know, in the world of science, you know, internationally, um, through papers that they've written or through postdoctoral research where they could easily come to schools like Hopkins or Harvard to like conduct their research and then go back on to teaching. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you just recently graduated from uh, John Hopkins uh, School of 
Advanced International Service. Yes. John Hopkins is the only one that uses Advanced International Service. Because every other, advanced. Every other school uses School of International Service. John Hopkins are like, no, we're advanced. Yeah, it's advanced. <laughs> you guys do diplomacy in space. What you guys <laughs> <laughs> but I would like for you to talk about your journey a little bit. Um, so coming to the U.S., sometimes... Uh, locals here in the U.S., and you can't blame them. Um, they tend not to know where you're coming from. Uh, they tend not to know the plights of international students, what we have mm-hmm. to go through to yeah. apply to u- university mm-hmm. outside the country. And uh, people from other countries, the same thing. So to kill two birds with one stone, um, people from the U.S. Uh, or from other countries who might not necessarily know what uh, a high school Nigerian uh, student who wants to school abroad goes through, and also people listening this to this from Nigeria who have hopes of coming abroad to school. Uh, talk to me about your process of coming to John Hopkins. Uh, what did you do? Did you write any exams? Did you have to prepare? Uh, what was the planning uh, stage like for you? What were some of the roadblocks you experienced? What would you have done differently? Uh, that kind of thing. Um, it's interesting. Uh, because my um, do you want some water? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> because my journey to size, um, it's it's a journey of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, when did this start? When did you come to the realization that you like to school abroad? Was it after you left Sokoto, after your youth service corps, or you had that thought even before going into NYS? I think that um, so for me, I always wanted to come to Hopkins. Um, oh, specifically, specifically, okay. all, all my life as Why? a scientist. Um, I mean, you know, Hopkins was really popular in Nigeria in high school because of Ben Carson. Yeah, you know, that's that. But for me, you know, so I took a class on Coursera okay. when I was in undergrad in Ife. Um, and it was on um, primary health care. Primary health care. Okay. Yeah, um, it was um, a Hopkins-led class on Coursera. Mm. Um, really exciting class. And then, you know, that, really, that was my first time, you know, coming across Hopkins, um, their teaching style. Mm. Kind of professor, and I did like you know further research, and I understand that you know Hopkins had like the best school of medicine in the world. Um, yeah. Cross cutting research. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like most medical of, research yeah, happens. You know, it's like the home of science, and then, then I had like very deep interest mm-hmm. in microbiology. I was actively involved with the American side of microbiology. I was my final year project was like really interesting, so I wanted to come to Hopkins as a scientist. That sounds like a typical Nigerian. Yeah. We set our eyes on the goal. Look, I want yeah. to win a Grammy. I want to do this. So, and we, we work tirelessly yeah, you know, to I wanted to come to Hopkins as a scientist. It was really clear. But I lost interest in science um, when I was in undergrad. So I had to join like, the student union of my um, undergrad um, IFE. Yeah, and the student yeah. union is kind of like the student political organization yeah. in most Nigerian mm-hmm. universities. Yeah, so and the main reason why I had to join the student union uh, was because you know, I felt that the system was so corrupt. Mm. It was corrupt, and then you know, someone needed to change something. Okay. So I became interested in politics, um, in governance and development, and I thought that you know I would rather like sacrifice my ambition in in um, science. We I would I would even be in the lab, 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 laboratory for the um, rest of my years, mm. and then you know, so I thought like, let me move to um, governance. Okay. So. Some people might even argue that that's a good choice because some parts of the sciences are being eroded due to technology, like places, yeah. uh, jobs like radiology mm-hmm. and jobs like yeah, that. Yeah, that's I a mean. good one. For, for a course like microbiology, I think it's, it's really very difficult. It's mm. Because know, it's biological. It's, yeah, it's not. biological, it's exploratory. Um, yeah. You know, you need to get a hold of things. Um, you need to ask lots of questions. You need to ask why. Okay. Uh, but when I lost the interest, I still performed excellent, ex- excellently well. I still love microbiology to, to today. But I feel that, you know, we need to be involved in the democratic process. And that yeah. was right. So in school, I joined Procter & Gamble. Uh, so I was recruited out of undergrad. Oh, you interned? Oh, you got a job in... Was PNG an internship or like... So it was a graduate internship. Okay. But what happened was um, two months into my internship, my manager left. So my director asked me to like, you know, Fill the position for like a month while they look for the office. And I did excellently well. They asked me to, to um, you know, take on the position uh, for the rest of my internship as a manager. So I did that. And then NYSC came, which is the youth service. And then I had to like leave 
for Sokoto. In Sokoto. Okay. Yeah. So from Sokoto now, you've always had the ambition to attend John Hopkins. Yep. So from Sokoto, did you apply? So you, you got there at 21. One year you mm-hmm. were 22. Mm-hmm. So did you apply to just Hopkins or you applied to several no. other universities? So from Sokoto, so when I when I um, decided to like focus on governance, mm-hmm. I um, shoved my Hopkins dream aside, you know. I forgot I was going to go to Hopkins again. Like, you know, okay. that was somewhere, it probably was somewhere at night okay. because I wanted to like go into governance. So I moved to Sokoto and I realized that governance is important, but development is also really important in the country because there mm. are lots of kids who want to go to school who couldn't afford it. And it's so tough. Um, you know, roads are bad. Um, security is, is in a very bad condition. So I felt, okay, let me walk a bit. So I joined, um, the, con- the local consulting firm for Pokta and Gamble, so they were into public policy. Oh, and PNG has a public policy arm? No, so they have like a consultant, a okay. local consulting firm called ACIA Associates. It's based out of Abuja. Okay. So I worked with them in public policy, you know, helping American corporations and other international corporations looking to invest in Nigeria, you know, um, with, with government engagement, understanding, mm. you know, what the tax policy of the country is all about, um, helping them shape their engagement strategy. Um, so, and I also worked consulting for the Gates Foundation on um, Gates Foundation on has a far-reaching. Yeah. So, which was really exciting. So, after two years, you know, I felt that I needed to institutionalize my knowledge, um, and then in international economics and development, and I thought about the school to go again. And then, you know, when I looked at the schools. Hopkins came up again. Again. And okay. being, you know, advanced uh, international yeah, advanced <laughs> studies. And okay. then being the fact that you know, it's in DC, um, you know, you know that um, um, diplomatic relations is like based in DC. What happens everywhere in the world, um, you know, comes out of DC. So I thought, you know, Hopkins is in DC. It's a top three school. Fantastic. I've always loved it all my life. Then let's start the process. So I started the process to Hopkins. What was, wait, so you applied to only Hopkins? Yeah? Only Hopkins. Okay. Only oh, Hopkins. really? And you, get a, you got it on your first trial? Yeah, only Hopkins. Okay, so, yeah. so what was the process? You went on their website. Yeah, so the process was, um, I worked with with um, a Hopkins alum okay. at um, the local firm, the local consulting firm, but she was working in D.C., Okay. Like more like a partnership agreement between the local firm and D.C. So she's a Hopkins alum. I love her working style. You know, mm-hmm. she has a deep understanding of um, the political economy of Africa. What's so, her name? Her name is Cassidy Walters. Cassidy uh, Walters. She's she, American. She's American. Um, she's vice president of Wisdom Bridge Group. She's my mentor. Okay. Um, you know, so she she advised me about that, and then about you know how Hopkins is good. I looked at Hopkins again. Then um, I started the application process. Understanding that you know I have the story to tell. Um, well, what was the application process end to end, like from beginning to end? It was it was hectic. Um, how, how long was it? Uh, I so think strict? I started in so I started I started writing my essay in September. Then I was reviewing. I think I reviewed it up to like ten times. Mm-hmm. Um, um, then I think I applied last day. I think it was the last hour mm-hmm. um, in January. Then I got my feedback in March. Then you know from March to August when I traveled was for fundraising. So <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a typical. You carry your admission letter. That's, you go to all your family and friends. I've gotten admission. Please, can yeah. you chip in something? <laughs> yeah, I was looking at that. Um, I think that that was even a different ballgame because you know it was. I think that that was a different ballgame because you know when you have that ambition to come to a school like Hopkins, mm-hmm. you know it's a crazy ambition. I yeah, think, I think it's it's a very crazy ambition. Um, when I told my mom what Hopkins um, school fees was, she just told me point blank, like, listen, you can't afford it. So, yeah, you know, touche. Just, well, welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you, you can't afford it. I think you, you might have to, like, push that aside for now. Yeah. And I told her, like, no, you know, I'm going to do everything possible to get the champions. Um, so, so what did you do for fundraising as much as you can share? Uh, what were some of the hacks that you were able to... I got, um, you know, funding. I got scholarships from Hopkins. I got about... Um, Got about um, sixty-five thousand uh, dollars from Hopkins. So, now how did you get that scholarship? So they they, they look at um, your potential. They look at your record. They potential look, like past transcripts. Like yeah, they look at your past transcripts. You know, Hopkins is not really about it, it, it's it's not really about past transcripts. You know, it's it's really about you know what you've done 
so the Sokoto thing came into play. No, I didn't. I didn't even tell the Sokoto story. I think that what I, the story I told for Hopkins was really, and that, and I think that that was what pushed me to Hopkins itself. Mm-hmm. So growing up, you know, I'd, I'd lost my parental malaria, cerebral malaria, which was treatable. Um, but you lost. Yeah, my friend. Your friend. Like when we were like um, eleven. Mm-hmm. I lost her to Sebo Maria. She's an amazing person. She was like the best student in Ogun State at that point in time. Her name is um, Jumotek Badibo. Excellent individual, fantastic person. Then in Sokoto, on my, you know, while I was seven in Sokoto, I lost another friend when I was 21 as well. She was wow. 20. Um, to a road accident. You know, she was um, traveling from Ogun State to Sokoto. Yeah. You know, excellent individual. wanted to work for CNN. She was on the right path. Um, and these are two preventable things. Yeah, two preventable things. And then the fact that, you know, I had also worked in development with the Gates Foundation, like, you know, helping push for policies in reproductive health care, which meant that, um, so at, at the point one of where we did was, Nigeria wasn't, like, funding um, reproductive health care, so we had to advocate for it. Like, you need to fund reproductive health care because there are lots of kids, mm-hmm. um, you know, dying out there. There are lots of women. Um, Nigeria still has like a very high rate of maternal mortality, so mm-hmm. we need to advocate for increased funding and help like multinational corporations invest in the in the country. So I've done a lot of uh, a lot of things, you know, impact-driven projects, you know, yeah. ranging from you know facilitating investments that generated over five thousand um, jobs to helping raise the project for reproductive health care. And this, this was what led uh, Hopkins to kind of like see yeah. that, oh, that you are actually might have some, you have some kind of potential to mm-hmm. have cause some yeah. impact in the future. So they would like to have you as a mm-hmm. student. And, and then, you know, they, it was also a story of, you know, what are you going to do in the future? And did you outline all these stories in your essay? Yep, it was clear. Okay, so that's very important. And, and I, I just said all that to, to mm-hmm. say that this is very important because mm-hmm. I was trying to tell my sister who's interested in like in a pre-med major mm-hmm. that these are things you have to do. You have to yeah. like get out there um, she, she she was uh, in, in Edo State in Benin City. I was trying to get mm-hmm. her involved with the uh, internally displaced persons mm-hmm. camp, uh, people displaced from terrorism in Nigeria. You know, just get involved as much as you can, not for just show, but based on what you care about. So mm-hmm. you talked about losing people to certain yeah. areas and that leading you to certain areas. So she also has interest. You know, it's very important uh, uh, learning uh, in the U.S. Uh, they see learning not necessarily as just educational, but also mm-hmm. experiential. Yeah, true. And, and, and I think that, you know, one thing that's common to every Hopkins um, student is that, and graduate is that they are always very impactful. You just have to be impactful. Um, you know, even right now, I have things I'm doing on the side, um, you know, building like a, an institution in Africa. And then I think that part of the process, you need to be clear about what you want to do after mm. in terms of, you know, what you want, what, what do you want to do for your continent? And then, you know, from reading it, it's going to be clear whether you have that clarity or yeah. not, whether you, you want to, you know, change and, and, it's a, it, and it's a good fit because we have this saying, I'm sorry to cut you short, mm-hmm. we have this saying also in American University that it's not about attracting the best candidates, yeah. it's about attracting the best candidates for American mm-hmm. University because yeah. American University is known for certain areas, they have certain core competence, yeah. they look at your background and see what you want to do on mm-hmm. the continent and mm-hmm. they see that they have the tools to contribute yeah. towards making that realization sure. that you stand a better chance. Sure. So if you're interested in media, if you're interested in technology, if you're interested in diplomacy, if you're mm-hmm. interested in there are different universities for that. So yeah. when you're applying, really do your research, research to see yeah. where you're applying for, if mm-hmm. they can contribute, and then you stand a better chance. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 I, and I also think that um, in, in addition to that, so that's a part, I think that that's about 30%. I'm, I'm not really too sure what the weight is right now, but you know, they also use your GRE scores, so which really like tests, um, you know, your skills. Yeah, so you, you actually wrote standardized yeah, examinations. You know, I, okay. I wrote it. Um, I wrote it. Um, you know, and then they also evaluate your transcript. They didn't look at you know your record, but I think that that's not really like a major part of it. But it's still has which to some people get confused. They they think that transcript is yeah. the end all be all. Yeah, true. You know, and then the, the thing about that uh, interesting is because when you look at the Nigerian standard, uh, our standard is so low that sometimes. You might, you know, in Nigeria, you have like a 70% and it's, that's an A. 
No, but I would, so, argue, I would necessarily say it's low. It's easy to get an A in the U.S. No, I don't. In the sense, no, like, no, think about it. You went to IFE. Mm-hmm. I went to Uniben, to mm-hmm. University of Benin. Yeah. Like, it's a 70% is an A, yes. But to get that 70% with the kind of lecturers that we have, the kind of professors that we have, like, you have to really dig in there. But, like, in the U.S. I, I necessarily wouldn't argue with that because I think that um, if they had set A, so when I was in high school, my school's A was at 80%. And my mother had, like, you know, a standard that you got to have seven out of nine A's. So whether I like it or not, I need to, like, work out seven yeah, out of nine A's. that sounds like a Nigerian mother. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> if you're saying that it's 70%, it means that you, the student doesn't know 30% of the question. No, what I'm trying to say is that it yeah. is easier. It's just like driving. Mm-hmm. Like, Learning to drive in Nigeria is different from learning to drive in the States. Yeah. Obviously. It is similar to that. Like, mm-hmm. yes, fine. Most uh, uh, A's in Nigeria start from like maybe 92 to 95%. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the A in the U.S. But it's easier to get that A in the sense that if you deliver exactly what mm-hmm. your professor needs, if you participate, if you, you know, do your assignments and all yeah. that, you stand a better chance for getting the A. But we, we face so much in Nigeria. I'm not even just talking about sociological mm-hmm. orders. I'm talking yeah. about even academic in the sense <laughs> that the professors are so strict of what exactly. It's the same thing in India. That's why it's the same thing almost like in China. That's why people that come from India, people that come from China, they look at the U.S. education system and they just, they just end up yeah, being I mean, you know, it's, like... It's, it's, I mean, you know, I agree to some extent, but I still think that um, if the A, I think that, so what I'm saying that when the, the standard is low is because you just can't set an A, like an excellence at 70%. Then what happens to him? That means the student doesn't even know the 30%. But assuming even the lecturers are very hard, and then you place an excellence at 90%, then you expect that the student, you know, if you don't know 10%, it's fine. But for me... Thank you, I'm speaking then, from a place know, of IQ privilege. <laughs> when, when I was in Ife, when I was in Ife. Yeah. Which is one of the top you know, schools in Nigeria. I was very clear. You, you know, it's so tough to get A, but I was very clear that I don't... I tell my friends, like, listen, I don't need... Why would I... What's the incentive of working towards an 80A mm, when I can have focus a on 71 other, So all your A's are 75, 75, yeah, 75? No, even... You, you want to 75. My A's are 70, 71, 70. 70 71. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Focus, focus on other courses. Because why would I... So most times, I just, like... Read three hours. So you're not incentivized to know yeah, more. You're just reading to pass reading to, to do the bare minimum to get yeah, the A and move. To get to so do so you feel if it was ninety percent that you would have known more than you do right now? Yeah, definitely. I think that if it was ninety percent, you know, I would have read for ninety percent. But because and this is you specifically, you yeah, being a brilliant chap, yeah, top five I mean, percent in you your know, class. Because if it if it was to be ninety percent, yeah, and I realize that a seventy percent would have been a fail failure, mm-hmm. I would have worked harder towards a ninety percent. But because even the, the person is saying that, listen, I'm not going to give you excellent. The person is going to give me B, which is like 80%, which means that I understand 80% of the cost content. But if it's saying that, you know, you have just 70%, mm. there are times that, now let me tell you, I had written an exam whereby it was um, it was a public health exam. Okay. And then at, at that point, there was a major outbreak in, um, in, um, in Asia. I think it was, um, it was the, Influencer virus. Okay. And then I got to read about that information because every morning I read like you know what's happening globally when I was still, like in microbiologist. Mm-hmm. But my professor wasn't aware of it. Mm. And then in the exam, you know, we were, we were asked to write about you know global epidemics, and I wrote about that. You know, mm-hmm. I knew that this is the you know score implication. If I write this, the professor might actually you know mark it wrong, mm-hmm. and then and I guess it's sixty five. But I was really like, you know, take, take, take the chance. I was so clear that if I do this, I'm going to get a 65. Mm. I'm not going to get a 770. And there are times where I would write, I know that this course is a 78. Mm. And even if you look at our scores in school, you wouldn't see people having 99. Like, most people wouldn't have. Because there's no incentive yeah, for you. That's why, well, I guess we, we, we kind of, like, differ a little bit. I see some yeah. part, you, you actually make sense. Mm-hmm. It actually makes sense that if people have a, a higher um, a point to aspire to, they'll mm-hmm. probably push themselves more. Uh, that makes sense, but you know, uh, I'm just trying to. I'm not trying to discount. Like I know how hard it is, especially for a school like University yeah. of Benin, or Benin, uh, or, or UI, for example, or University of Ibadan. You mm-hmm. know, these are schools where you know the professors. You, you go through a whole lot of things, even trying mm-hmm. to get. Yeah, uh, true. Yeah. 
Well, anyway, that's by the way. So, but the, some of the things you've mentioned are not specific to Nigeria, right? Everyone writes an essay, sure, regardless sure. of whether sure. you're in the US or, or, or you're applying from mm-hmm. Nigeria. Everyone tends to take one form of standardized test or the yeah. other. So, the GRE, uh, but the GRE is what? The general, <laughs> general <laughs> record examination or something? Something is an exam that is taken. Uh, I think they have uh, the, 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 the exam that is taken for most graduate mm-hmm. <coughs> degrees here in the US. So you really want to study uh, on the GRE. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you, how did you study exactly? How many hours a day? Uh, what, what were some of the resources you used uh, coming from Nigeria? Yeah, I think for me, you know, I, I was working while I was preparing for my GRE. So I, I think I was doing about four hours a day mm. in the evening when I did work. Um, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. So, I, I did like maybe five hours, five, six hours a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for mine was um, short, short, but I think I read over 12 weeks. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, definitely. I read over 12 weeks. Um, and I think, you know, I watched some videos, some practice tests. Yeah. That, that was a thought. That, that's one hack I used to pass grad school to be honest like a lot of my learning was from videos so yeah. like look good videos watch something then read the thing mm-hmm. then it makes sense and you move ahead yeah mm-hmm. I, when I was in um, when I was a microbiology student what, what I used was um, animations mm. yeah so it's, it's easier to like remember yeah oh nice what was your GRE score if you um, want to divulge that information I mean, you've graduated now, so... Yeah, I think it was, um, I think it was like, 320. Okay. Yeah, I think it was, I'm not really sure, I think it was 320. And did you apply for the first or second or third round of Hopkins? <laughs> I can't remember. What month did you apply? Uh, January. January, so that's probably, like, second... Maybe, yeah, I think it was second. Second, okay. So I'm just trying to put pieces together, you know, for people listening. Mm-hmm. You have a 320 in GRE. Mm-hmm. You demonstrated uh, ability for development, what you want to do in the future. Mm-hmm. You have work experience. Mm-hmm. You had uh, good results, mm-hmm. uh, all the 71 and 72 A's <laughs> that, you were getting, that you were getting in OAU, uh, things like that. Um, what else do you think? Oh, did, did you write the IELTS? No, I didn't uh, because I, I demonstrated that my undergrad was um, an English-speaking university, mm. and then you know sent my transcript. I had worked on like uh, American English-speaking American films. That, that's one thing people don't take a chance on, right? So for Americans listening to this, there's, a, there's an exam called the IELTS mm-hmm. or the TOEFL. I think Americans will be, you know more, uh, they know more about the TOEFL, but the IELTS is the English, um, International English Language Testing System, mm-hmm. IELTS, and it's meant to demonstrate that you can communicate and comprehend English language, so when you get into school, you can actually understand what the lecturers are yeah. teaching, but a whole bunch of international students are from English-speaking countries, mm-hmm. like countries where English is the lingua franca, so, but still, School still mandates that we take IELTS. So it's been this back and forth thing that are we really required to take IELTS that we're treating the same while on Facebook we we interact with people all over the world. Some of Mm -hmm. us have given talks in TED uh, abroad. We go for conferences. We do all these things. And we wrote our essays in English. And we wrote our freaking essays in English. But, you know, they still use that as a criteria. But... More and, and more in English. Yes, and but what I think I would yeah. like to say to people listening to this, and which you just demonstrated with your story, is that always seek to. Um, if you feel you don't want to do something, there's something called waiver. Mm-hmm. So yeah. universities have the ability to waive certain criteria if they feel you have demonstrated. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, certain ability. So be it with the English language test, be it even with the GRE, mm-hmm. be it with the... I've seen cases where they've waived the essay. Yep. yep. And that's almost like the most important part. Yeah, I've yeah, seen cases where they've waived the when essay. You, when you like, um, have an interview, some people put this on the way. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are always, uh, you know, different sides to the point. So if you're applying from abroad, just, you know, get in early, uh, practice as much as you can and see how uh, you can, you know, communicate uh, some of these things to university and get them to waive certain things. Uh, I mean, you were, you know, fearless in the sense that you appear, you applied to just one university. I applied to multiple. Some people tend to hedge their bets. <laughs> you know, so, for me, if it wasn't Hopkins, I wasn't going to go. Yeah. I mean, people that ask me, I like telling them that, oh, yeah, I applied to... I started application, like, my process was just, like, I started looking at, like, 23 universities in, like, Ooh. America, Europe, and all these countries. <laughs> then... I pruned it down to like 
maybe like 11. Then I actually started, started the application to about six. Yeah. I completed the application to four. I got admissions to all four of them. Then I went for the one with the most scholarship, <laughs> which happened to be in DC. But, you know, anyway, that's by the way. But yeah, it's, um, it's just interesting. And now that you've graduated, um, international, uh, sorry, I'm sorry, advanced international <laughs> yeah. service uh, from Hopkins, what do you seek to do? I know you have some experience uh, working with companies like uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, working with Dahlberg, I uh, think like, what do you seek to do? What's in the future for Ridwine? I think that, uh, you know, for me, just want to go back to working at the intersection of um, public policy, industry, um, and development. I think that... In what form does that take? As a lobbyist? As a... As an advisor? What, what form does that take? I think that, um, you know, for me, I, I want to be in consulting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, consulting or... So mostly always, like, going back into the private sector working in the public policy. I'm, but right now, I'm consulting for um, a project with the Gates Foundation again okay. um, called um, the Grid 3 Data. It's with a company called AMZ. The Grid 3? Yeah, Grid 3 Data. It's a okay. geospatial... Oh, like tree, like a tree? No, Grid 3. Okay, the number 3. Yeah, number 3. Okay. Um, it's a geo- geospatial um, data project, you know, trying mm. to... Um, identify. Um, they are not using that to spy on. No, 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 no. <laughs> so they, they, they were working with the governments of um, different countries, you know, okay. helping them develop population data, um, settlement data, and um, location data. Because you know, no. having like this this infrastructure. You know, Bill Bill Gates actually he uses some very interesting ways to solve some socioeconomic problems. So talking about population, I, there was like I don't know if it's something similar to Grade Three, but he was using like satellites to track body heat and movement in certain countries. Like using Bill that Gates, to estimate. I, I, think it's I, I, not think that, I don't know, or someone I don't know. Yeah, you know. So the the, the idea is that most of these innovations. So interestingly, um, we we need to think about how do we solve socioeconomic issues um, with informed data because often, you know, if we don't make decisions based on data, we often get that wrong. Um, so it's important for us to make decisions based on the data. And then, you know, for me, which is why I'm working on a project called PolicyVox.Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, PolicyVox. Yeah, PolicyVox.Africa. So we're building mm-hmm. the largest repository of public policies and data in Africa. Um, mm-hmm. So that's something I'm working on right now. Then after this project, you know, I'll see where that goes from there. Okay. Okay. Nice. Nice. Okay. So we've touched on, um, you know, graduating from school, doing your NYSC, mm-hmm. how you prepare to come to Hopkins, um, coming to the U.S., just touching on coming to the U.S. Well, how was coming to the U.S. for you? Uh, I know you are probably, you know, grown up uh, experiencing American culture in some form of fashion, music, movies, all that thing. But coming to the U.S., did you experience any kind of culture shock? Um, did you, what was your experience like? So similar to the Sokoto experience, but now for the U.S.? I think that it wasn't really any different for me. It wasn't really any special. Um, I've been to the UK before, um, been to Manchester. Um, so when I came to DC, I loved the diversity. Um, you know, I was with friends, so it wasn't really that difficult for me. But the major issue I had was um, with the food. Because, mm. you know, I was really missing my Nigerian food. Do you cook? Yeah, I cook, but I'm a terrible cook, so... Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> so uh, I feel sad when I eat my food. <laughs> How can technology solve that one? <laughs> I mean, yeah, so, so, so now I get to order food from um, some Ghanaian restaurants. Which oh, you actually other African food. Nice. Yeah, other African food. Nice. Then um, I got to find out about, um, like, this African stuff. It's not really African. I think it's, like, Latin American stuff, but, but kind of closely similar. Here in Maryland? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's in Takuma Park. Oh, I think I know where it is. Um, where that go? Oh, no, no, that's not yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know where it's It's on the green line somewhere. Or is it on the red line? I don't even use, like, I haven't used, like, a train there before. Like, oh, yeah. oh, you drive? No, I used Uber there. Okay. Because, you know, it's kind of far from me. Yeah. So, so you know, in, in terms of the food, uh, but I think the also good thing about that is I've tried a lot of food. You know, being at size, like, you know, you have, like, students from, over 70 countries, yeah. is where you know, you have, you have eaten like different food 
that it's very difficult for me to say that, you know, I want to stick with this route. So I've been exposed to um, different culture. You know, I love Korean food, um, really, really good. Peruvian food, awesome. Um, yeah, so I think that for me it was really about just the food. Mm-hmm. Uh, but part that there's diversity, so much diversity in this, it really helps a lot for you to experience it. Gotcha. And, and you talked about your family earlier in the episode. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you have a wife who's currently studying. Yep, I have a wife, I have a son. Um, you know, they're based in Nigeria. They were here, yeah, but which they're back in Nigeria. Um, yeah, but you know, coming back, com- coming to the years, it wasn't, it wasn't really that difficult because we've always been like this family that we've always been mobile. My wife is on the mobile, she's doing an advanced degree. I'm doing my own thing. <laughs> um, so, you know, we had a child like at Hawkins. Um, so, you know, we've been just like being on the move. So it wasn't really, although at some point, uh, probably like when we, we both like done with us, with our stuff, you know, we still have to like stay in a place. So probably DC, probably Lakers, mm. we'll decide then. Oh, okay, cool. Well, it's been, it's been really interesting uh, interacting with you. I always like to give my guests uh, a few minutes to probably address something, uh, maybe a question I didn't ask, or if you want to put a statement out there, uh, if you want to send some love to your wife or your son, whatever yeah. it is, yeah, <laughs> you, can, you, you have the floor. <laughs> yeah, I think that, um, thanks thanks so much for that. So first of all, I mean, I think that coming to the U.S. and then, you know, living in your home country, it's... it's um, it's interesting. It's very challenging. I still think like my wife um, and my son, you know, for having been that support and, and that, you know, having to understand, um, you know, how everything is being done and, you know, how to cope with changes. Uh, but for people coming here, I think that um, one thing to note is that um, being an international student in a place like DC requires, or even U.S. requires tenacity. You know, you don't have to give up. You would face lots of it challenges around Lots. funding around you know trying to get accommodation credit score I think I have to do an that, episode on credit you know, scoring <laughs> yeah I think you should do it and I think I should do it about you know how to access financing for for graduate students because that's sometimes like can be the most important issues they would face mm-hmm. um, and also getting to settle out to get accommodation you know so you would face lots of issues but at the heart of it all I think that being tenacious um you know, having that that um, that belief, and then you know, being excellent at what you do. Um, and I also tell people like, you know, if you are in a school like Hopkins or, or Harvard or Stanford or even an American university, like there is nothing super special about these schools. Perfect. You I just hit that, the nail on Yeah, I think that the most important thing is about you. Mm-hmm. It's about you being that special person, being able to make impact, being able to understand the process being someone who's a go-getter and that's that's it that those are the unique uh qualities of oh, people in this school because when you face a challenge it's important for you not to view that as a challenge but to see it as um an opportunity to create a solution so for example at Hopkins, when i was there first year we didn't have like a metro card so it was really tough for us being a student having to stay far away from school so we like had to like negotiate for that Negotiate for you know for the finance like you know. Kind of oh, you guys actually lobbied as a what as a student? Yeah, we've been ne- negotiated. You know, I negotiated. Um, okay. You know, for that that you know, Hopkins needs to like graduate student at Hopkins. We are not all rich. Mm. You know, we need to have Metro Card, which is like gives the access, um, unlimited access to train and bus um, for a limited number, of, you know, for a little amount of fee, and then we also like negotiated. On behalf of um, subsequent students to be able to access, you know, graduate students' loans and finance nice. from Polyfin. Nice. So these and are you did this as, as as the chair of the African Students. Yeah, so you, as the president of the Africa, uh, you know, Africa Association. Right. And these are the qualities, you know, that you would see in guys in these schools. The ability to like look at challenges and be able to provide solutions um, to those challenges. And I think that this is what we'll be doing going forward as we all go back to Africa in one capacity or the other. Nice, nice. I look, I look forward to it, man. And I just want to pick on one thing you said there. Like, uh, it's, it's really 
Uh, you know, we, we see all these things. Coming to D.C., when I came to D.C., I, I went to the White House. I, yeah. I, went to all the, I went to all the monuments, and I was like... Why did you go to the White House? Not, not too long ago, actually. I stayed in like, D.C. for like a year. But yeah. at, a, at a point, I was like, look, will I live in D.C. and leave without actually going to the White House? So I also went down like, this is just a freaking building. <laughs> this, this is the White House. It's just a freaking building. It's just painted white. That's it. So, like, no right. one here has two heads. Like, there, there's nothing, like... If, if, if for anything your experience even puts you at an advantage mm -hmm. you know yeah. try to look at uh, the glass as half full yep. uh, the, the character that builds your experience mm -hmm. coming to a place like this so um, yeah it's doable a lot of people have done it in the past a lot more do it yep. in the future Enough so, in the future yeah I mean thank you very much for coming on the podcast do you want to I don't know how uh, much time you spend on social media, but you want to like drop uh, some of your handles or whatever if someone wants to reach out to you with a question or something. Yeah, so um, um, you know, on Twitter it's at read one shoronke, R I D W A N S O R U N K E. I think that on LinkedIn, read one shoronke. Instagram, nope. Okay. I mean, some people have Instagram accounts, but they don't post pictures of themselves. They just like post scenery. Like I post pictures of myself, and then, you know, oh, that's like love. Oh, you don't want to put it into the public sphere. Yeah, that's not what public you sphere. Oh, because, okay, you know, okay, okay. Sometimes you, you just need a space where you can easily go. Gotcha. gotcha, and then, gotcha. Uh, I mean, my own Instagram is private anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I have like I loads of requests we're waiting, and then you know, sometimes you just want to like reduce conversation in that. Um, yeah. But Twitter, you could always have. You know, those political discussions. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm very happy to, like, you know, advise people who are looking at applying to Hopkins yeah. or any other, you know. And, and, he, and just for context, yeah. he, he went to the University of Ife, Obafemi Aloy University. Yeah, I, I was Obafemi Aloy University. John I was Hopkins in the student University. union of Ife. Uh -huh, I, was, so. <laughs> I was an activist in school. <laughs> okay, he was a troublemaker. <laughs> and then, you know, I, you know, and then, um, you know, I was vocal back in school, um, you know, at Hopkins and I'm at Hopkins. So I've learned a lot, um, different experiences. I've been, you know, like um, at the lower end, um, like lower 50% in Nigeria. I've been, you know, I've been to like public schools, been to private schools and, you know, been in the top 10 school in the world. So, you know. That's the experience, and I'm also happy to like you know mentor people that have the experience. Nice. Well, thank you for coming, Ridwan. Thank uh, you so much, no, sir. Well done on what you do, and yeah. uh, you know keep sharing the experience. I hope like you know I won't be the last Nigerian. No, hopefully not. <laughs> but like I said, we're not monolith, you know. I, I like to, yeah, 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 definitely not the last Nigerian, of course. Uh, but yeah, you guys can follow us on social media also if you want to. It's Culture Class Podcast everywhere uh, except Twitter. Twitter is Culture Class Pod. Uh, send us an email, cultureclasspodcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you think. And yeah, have a great day. And then they, they should also watch um, Nigerian music and videos. Yeah, of course, yeah, like Africa, Barnaboy Boy is everywhere, right? <laughs> I keep saying Barnaboy's Boy's name every single episode. Barnaboy's <laughs> Boy's name every single episode. But yeah, um, Afro beats to the world, man. Yeah, thanks so much. <laughs> nice.